We've been learning a lot over these past few days, haven't we? It's been a blessing, brothers and sisters. It's been an absolute blessing. And I praise God for all the opportunities that we have been able to come together, press together, and to learn of God's truth. This is what we're supposed to be doing right now. And so it is that we realize that there's a great work, not only that Jesus is doing in that most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary, but we realize there's a great work that we're supposed to be doing as well. We ought to cooperate with God, amen? And that's why we were looking at those four instructions and we saw that God has called us to have holy convocation, to afflict our souls. And then the next step was that we were to offer an offering made by fire. And so it is that tonight we're going to go ahead and review what does it mean to offer an offering made by fire? How do we apply that today and by God's grace see if we can make it practical? And so it is that as we prepare to go into this study, we're going to once again have a word of prayer and then we will officially begin. I'm going to kneel and you're certainly welcome to join me if you'd like and if you cannot, then you can certainly bow your heads reverently where you are as we pray. Our Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you, dear God, for the wonderful time that we have been having here. It is absolutely amazing how time truly flies when we are having fun. And Lord, I'm grateful that we have not been having careless fun. We have been having fun, Lord, enjoying your word and communing with thee. And Father, we're grateful that we can have the privilege to have even that kind of fun and enjoyment. And Lord, I'm just praying that as we come together now, that once again, you'll prepare our hearts and our minds to better understand your words of truth. And Lord, I pray that the message tonight will do something special in our hearts and that you may truly cause us to come to Jesus and to behold him and his lovely face for who he is. And I pray that by beholding, may we even become changed. And so, Father, we ask you to please forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us, Lord, from all unrighteousness, to open our eyes and once again help us to behold wondrous things out of thy law. And I pray that you will make plain to us tonight on how we can offer an offering made by fire. Speak to us now, we pray, and I give myself to you afresh. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. For we ask these things, dear God, in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to turn your Bibles to the book of Leviticus, chapter 4. Leviticus, chapter 4. And as we're turning to Leviticus, chapter 4, you'll remember, and I want you to see that Everything we've been studying, you see that everything was, it had a flow to it. it. It had an order. Because the first thing God's people were supposed to do was have holy convocation at home. And then that would best prepare them for the public meeting where they were to have the holy convocation with the family, with the brethren. And then through that holy convocation, they were supposed to afflict their souls, to begin to search and examine their hearts so that way they can make sure that there would be no wicked way within them. And what's interesting is that when they would begin to examine their hearts naturally, they would start to see sins that would come up that they would realize, perhaps I didn't even realize that I was committing this sin against you, Lord. And as a result of that, they would now have to go to the next step. And the next step we find in Leviticus chapter 4, everything flows perfectly. In Leviticus 4, notice what the Bible says now as we consider verse 30. They had to present an offering, and I want you to see how the Bible puts this in Leviticus 4 and verse 30. It says, And the priest shall take of the blood thereof with his finger and put it upon the horns of the altar of burnt offering, and shall pour out all the blood thereof at the bottom of the altar. And he shall take away all the what? The fat. So the fat had to be removed. Amen? It says, And he shall take away all the fat thereof as the fat is taken away from off the sacrifice of peace offerings. It says, and the priest shall burn it. And what is the priest burning? 
that fat. It says, and the priest shall burn it upon the altar for a sweet savor unto the Lord, and the priest shall make an atonement for him, and it shall be forgiven him. So here it is that, you know, when we study how the offerings were done, we see that when the offering had to be presented, you'll remember that there had to be an investigation and it had to go through a process. But eventually when the offering was to be laid on that altar, it says that all the fat had to be removed. And then all this fat, when it was removed, it had to be burnt up. Now, the question is, what exactly would this fat represent? What is it that the Bible would help us understand this fat even to be? And I believe that we can find out if we just simply search the word of God to find out our truths. How about you? So let's go to the book of Psalms, the 37th division, and let's see if the word of God can give us some guidance to help us understand some things about this fat that had to be separated from the offering and then ultimately it would be burnt up. The Bible says in Psalms, the 37th division, and when you get there, please say amen. In Psalms 37, in verse 20, now let's look at what the Bible says. The Bible says in Psalms 37, in verse 20, it says, But the wicked shall perish, it says, and the enemies of the Lord shall be as what? The fat of lambs. They shall consume into smoke, shall they consume away. So therefore, if we were to look at what does this fat represent, based on what we read thus far, what would we see the fat to represent? It would represent the enemies of the Lord. That's what the Bible says. It says the enemies of the Lord shall be as the fat of lambs. Now, let's see if we can investigate this a little bit further and see if God can help us see some more about these quote-unquote enemies of the Lord. So here it is. The Bible says that the enemies of the Lord are like the fat of lambs. Now, go to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 5. In Romans chapter 5, I believe that God is going to help us to even understand even deeper this fat and the enemies of the Lord being synonymous one to another. Notice what the Bible says now in Romans chapter 5. And when you get there, please say amen. amen. This is interesting because we're about to see something where we're going to see how God refers to people, but I want you to notice two terms that he uses. The Bible says in Romans, the fifth chapter, and we're going to look at verse eight. It says, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet what? Sinners. It says Christ did what? He died for us. Now look at verse nine and 10. It says much more than being now justified by his blood. We shall be saved from wrath through him. Verse 10. For if when we were what? Enemies. The Bible says we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Now, here it is that when we looked at that offering, we saw that when the offering was presented, the fat had to be removed. Amen. And then we said, well, what does that fat represent? And then we looked a little further in Psalms 37. And God says, well, I look at the fat as the enemies of the Lord. Is that right? Now we went to Romans 5, and in verse 8, God says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But then God used another term in verse 10. He says, but while we were enemies, that God also reconciled us unto himself. So to be a sinner and to be an enemy were on the same par. Are you following? Now, the only way an individual can be a sinner is that they obviously must have committed what? sin. So therefore, that fat that had to be burnt up and consumed represented nothing else but sin. This was very important as it related to the offering. The fat represented sin. God saw it necessary that while there was going to be an offering that was going to be presented, he wanted to make sure that he got out of it all the fat. And as he removed all that fat, he realized that that fat needs to be destroyed. And therefore, the only thing that could do it is that it had to be fire. Hold on to that. Don't lose that. Fire was necessary to consume all of the fat. Now, the reason why this becomes very significant is go to the book of Romans chapter 12. In Romans chapter 12, we find out something now. You know, I've learned, brothers and sisters, that if we carefully study the Bible, we will start seeing that God uses sanctuary language all throughout the scriptures. 
He really does. He uses sanctuary language all throughout the scriptures. And I'll show you one right here in Romans 12. In Romans, the 12th chapter, notice what the Bible says. And when you get there, please let me know by saying amen. Amen. Now, in Romans, the 12th chapter, the Bible says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a what? A living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So the Bible helps us see that God wants us to present ourselves as a sacrifice. Amen? Amen. Now that sacrifice, you must understand, is sanctuary language. God has always understood this. He knew that the same way there were sacrifices done in the type, he now comes to you and I and he says, well, I want you to go ahead and I want you to present yourself as a living sacrifice. Now here's the thing. If we are presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice, something has to die. That's the whole purpose of even using the term sacrifice. Something got to die. So therefore, my question is, what is it that we would die? I mean, think about it. Jesus was the Lamb of God that died for our sins. Amen? Amen. Now, we can't die for sin, can we? No, brothers and sisters, we can't die for sin. So if God is saying, present yourself as a living sacrifice, what is it that has to die? What is it that God is trying to explain to yours and my mind? Notice what the Bible says in Romans, the sixth chapter. In Romans, the sixth chapter now, God begins to make things a little bit more plain to you and I. In Romans, the sixth chapter, the Bible clearly says right here in verse 11. And if you're there, please say amen. The Bible says in Romans 6 and verse 11, Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be what? Dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is how we can be a living sacrifice. While here it is that something has to die, the Bible makes it clear. Christ definitely is the Lamb of God that died for our sins, but God comes to you and I and he says, I am not calling you to die for sin, but I'm definitely calling you to die to sin. He makes it clear. He says, that's my expectation of you. I want you to die to sin while you will live through Jesus Christ your Lord. So therefore, we come to God now as a living sacrifice. And brothers and sisters, do you know that if we carefully study the sanctuary, you will see that it's very consistent, that even before an individual was to experience baptism, there already should have been a death that took place. That's why the altar was here and the labor was over there. There had to be a death before there was that burial. Is that right? You don't bury living people, do you? You only bury dead people. So when you entered into the outer court, there had to be a death. And then as a result of that death, it was obviously proper to be buried and to come up in newness of life. So therefore, it makes perfect sense. And this is why we should be very careful. You know, I appreciate that question about baptism. You know, we would do well to do baptism better. Do you know in volume six of the Testimonies to the Church, page 95, We are told that the baptismal candidates should be carefully, brothers and sisters, investigated. We are to make sure, inspiration says that when an individual is preparing for baptism, they must make sure that they are not simply taking the name Seventh-day Adventist, but that they have made a clear decision to bid thee farewell to this world and to the lifestyle of sin. Some people, brothers and sisters, have come to the pool and all that has taken place is at one point they were a dry sinner and they came up a wet one. And God has never wanted us to do that. God always wanted us to understand that when we work with these individuals who are about to be baptized, that we were supposed to teach them how they are to bid farewell to the old life. And day by day, they are to abide in Christ and live by that wonderful grace. And so it is that God says that, yes, I want you to present yourself as an offering. What is it that I'm dying to? I am dying to sin. Amen? Now, what's interesting is go to the book of James chapter 1. In James chapter 1, we understand that the Bible even makes us aware of the very process of sin so that we can understand a little bit better how we can actually begin this this experience of dying to it. Notice what the Bible says in James chapter 1. In James chapter 1, here's what the Bible says. And if you're there, please say amen. Amen. Now, in James 1, the Bible says this. 
It says in verse 13, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Never say God is tempting me. Verse 14, it says, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, what happens? It bringeth forth sin. It says, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Now, therefore, understanding this, we see a process of how sin becomes a reality. Amen? It starts with temptations. Temptations are going to come to us. So question, is temptation sin? No, it is not. The Bible is clear. Temptation comes first, and depending on what we do with that temptation is whether sin is conceived or not. So therefore, now that we understand temptation comes, notice what the Bible says in Matthew 26. The Bible says we should be dead indeed unto sin, and we're understanding a little bit of how sin even becomes a reality to people in the first place. The Bible says that temptation comes to us. When the temptation comes, if we entertain it, if we play with it, if we tickle it, if we dance with it, if we start to mess with it, then brothers and sisters, this is how sin can become a reality. Now notice what the Bible says in Matthew, the 26th chapter. In Matthew chapter 26, and when you're there, please say amen. In Matthew 26, now notice what the Bible says in verse 41. Matthew 26 and verse 41, the Bible says, watch and do what else? And pray. It says that what? You enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is Weak. So God says that one of the ways that you and I can start to experience being dead indeed unto sin, when you and I accept Jesus and we have him come into our hearts and in our lives, and we determine by the grace of God to live a life that is to the, his honor and to his glory, God brings it clear to us, listen, temptation can come to you and I. One of the protective barriers that he says is watch and pray. How can you end up in an experience where you can become dead to sin, that you no longer entertain it, practice it, fall into it over and over and over again? God says, watch and pray. This is why in Great Controversy, page 519, it says, Satan well knows that those whom he can get to neglect prayer and the searching of the scriptures will. It did not say maybe. It did not say might. It says, will be overcome by his attacks. Let me quote that again. Great Controversy, page 519. It says, Satan well knows that those whom he can get to neglect prayer and the searching of the scriptures will be overcome by his attacks. You know what it says next? It says, therefore, he creates all sorts of devices to try to get us to fall. Do you know, brothers and sisters, that even though there's nothing wrong with a PDA phone, that in many respects, these smartphones, a lot of them, Satan is the one that is directing us as we press the buttons. He knows that if I can get this device to become something that that young person will spend more time text messaging each other than spending time studying the word. Satan knows I got him. You know, brothers and sisters, I say this respectfully, and I learned this from a good friend of mine, an evangelist friend. You know, brothers and sisters, I don't even believe there's anything wrong with Facebook. I don't believe that Facebook is necessarily a bad thing. Facebook is a tool that can be used for the glory of God. But brothers and sisters, when Facebook keeps your face out of this book, that's a problem. Is that right? So God wants us to understand that, listen, Satan is busy creating all sorts of devices so that he can get you and I to neglect prayer and to searching other scriptures because he knows if I can get him to do that, I got him. So the Bible says you want to know how you can really experience this situation where you can become dead indeed unto sin and have that indwelling of Christ in us, abiding in us, and we abiding in him. Do, brothers and sisters, do you know what the end result you know, I love how Brother Gregory kept talking about abiding in Christ. Do you know what the end result is of abiding in Jesus? Go to the book of 1 John chapter 3. I'm so thankful that the Bible gives us an end result. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 3. 
First John, the third chapter. When you get there, say amen. amen. The Bible says in First John chapter 3, notice what it says right here. The Bible says in First John 3 and verse 4, very popular Adventist text. The Bible says in First John 3, 4, it says, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the what? The law. For sin is the transgression of the law. Amen? Now, verse 5. And ye know that he was manifested to do what? To take away our sins. And in him is no sin. Verse 6. It says, whosoever abideth in him. What's those next two words? Sinneth not. That's the end result of abiding in Christ. That God will begin to create a love so deeply rooted within us, brothers and sisters, that as, as a result of abiding in Jesus, we would prefer to die than do anything that would sever between myself and my Savior. When we abide in Christ, the Bible says, that end result is that we stop sinning against him, that we stop doing the thing that breaks his heart. And so it is that the Bible says you got to present yourself as an offering. How can you do this? How can you and I become dead indeed unto sin? The Bible says you got to watch and pray. You got to make sure that you're sending up and, spend, and spending that time with God in prayer, the searching of the scriptures, paying attention to the things around us that can be distractive forces. Oh, we're going to talk about that tomorrow. Brothers and sisters, Christ wants us to understand that he knows how to keep us from falling. In fact, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we see that the process of how even sin becomes a reality is that that temptation comes to us. And after that temptation comes to us, you and I have an opportunity to entertain it or not. And this is why the Bible says so clearly, don't ever make an excuse for sin. Never, ever say, oh, I had to. The temptation was so hard. You know why? Because if you say that, brothers and sisters, you're calling God a liar. And God is not a man that he would lie. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, if you're there, say amen. amen. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, in verse 13, it says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Now, brothers and sisters, that means don't go around saying nobody knows the troubles I've seen. Don't go around saying, oh, my temptation and my trial is so unique that there's nobody else on earth who has gone through this before. The Bible says there is no temptation that has come upon a man except that which is common. Somebody else went through it before. And I can guarantee you, brothers and sisters, there is no one who is tempted like Jesus. Jesus, brothers and sisters, the, the devil constantly came to him to try to get him to act upon self. And brothers and sisters, it's one thing when an individual, I like the, the, the illustration that Elder Samuel Pippin gave one time. He talked about how if an individual has a car that can only go 65 miles per hour and another person has a car that can go 200 miles per hour, who has the greater temptation to go 100? Obviously, the person who can. That's the reason why, brothers and sisters, no matter what temptation you and I go through, Jesus went through it times infinity. Because, brothers and sisters, he could have done anything he wanted simply by a thought. And at every point in his life, he had to make sure that his life was restrained and under and subject to the will of his Father. Amen. Brothers and sisters, there is no temptation that has come upon you, upon me, or anybody, except that which is common, the Bible says. But notice how it finishes. It says, there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But not, watch this, but God is faithful. Somebody should say amen. amen. The Bible says, but God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. Don't make excuses for sin, brothers and sisters. When that temptation comes, God has given you and I the wherewithal that we should be able to watch, to pray, and to resist the temptation so that by the grace of God, we can have victory over it rather than being subject to it. This is why God says, I want you to present your body, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto me, that you and I might be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto our Lord Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. It's not just an offering that had to be presented. It said that the offering had to be what? Made by fire. 
So in other words, it's not enough to just simply say, all right, I'm no longer going to do this. I'm no longer going to do that. We have to make sure, brothers and sisters, that whatever our no longers are going to be all about, we have to make sure that it is made by fire. And I wonder what that fire represents. Go to the book of Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews, the 12th chapter. In Hebrews, the 12th chapter, notice something the Bible tells us now. I believe that this is very important. I believe that by the grace of God, somebody may experience victory tonight, brothers and sisters. In Hebrews, the 12th chapter, I want you to see what the Bible says in verse 29. The Bible says in Hebrews 12 and verse 29, talking about God, the Bible says, for our God is a what? Consuming fire. So therefore, the Bible makes it clear that God himself is a consuming what? Fire. Now, go to the book of 1 John chapter 4. In 1 John chapter 4, let's notice something here. God is a consuming fire. Now let's notice what the Bible says here. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, notice what it says now in verse 8. It says, he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. So in one verse, we see God is fire. And in another verse, we see God is love. Now, the reason why this becomes interesting is because, remember, when the offering was made, the fat had to be removed. What does the fat represent? Sin. So therefore, they had to take the fat, lay it on the altar, and then fire had to come down and completely consume all of it. And the Bible says God is fire. And the Bible says God is love. Go to the book of Song of Solomon, chapter 8. In the book Song of Solomon, chapter 8, we find how God equates fire and love in the same vein. And I want you to see how God brings this to yours and my attention as we go to the book of Song of Solomon, chapter 8. And in Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verses 6 and 7, I want you to see what the Bible says. If you're there, say amen. Amen. The Bible says in Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 6, it says, set me as a seal upon thine heart, as a seal upon thine arm. For what? Love is strong as death. Jealousy is cruel as the grave. The coals thereof are coals of fire, which hath a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love. Neither can the floods drown it. It's interesting how sometimes the word flood represents ungodly men. Many waters cannot quench love. Neither can the floods drown it. If a man would give all the substance of his house for love, it would utterly be contemned. Brothers and sisters, the Bible is making it clear. You see, when you and I begin to afflict our souls, what happens is a lot of times we begin to see sins in our lives that are horrible. We begin to see things. We begin to see, Lord, you mean to tell me that I've been breaking your law all this time when I thought I was keeping it? And that day when we did afflict our souls, I believe many of us was having that very conviction. Amen. We were looking at the law of God and we were saying, Lord, I thought that I was keeping the third commandment, but now I saw that I was breaking it. Lord, I thought that I was keeping the seventh commandment, but now I saw that I was breaking it. I thought that I was keeping the eighth, the fourth, the first, and the list goes on. And I realized I broke it. And what happens is many a times individuals will say, all right, I'm going to change. And they begin to reform. But brothers and sisters, I have a question for you. How many times have you made reforms in your life and you found out later on that you went right back to your good old sinful ways? How many times have we said, that's it, I'm going to change my diet. And brothers and sisters, for a little while, we go ahead and we start to eat all of the things to the glory of God. But after a while, we're like the children of Israel. We say, look, I want the flesh pots of Egypt again. How many times there are individuals, even young ladies, who will say, you know what? Yes, it's true. I'm going to go ahead and practice dress reform. I'm going to start dressing like a saint of God. But at the same time, even though they're dressing like a saint, they still desire the garments of a harlot. 
How many times have we found ourselves making all these changes, but at the same time, there's no peace, there's no joy, there's no happiness in our lives? You want to know why? Because many of us were trying to get rid of the fat, not by God's fire, but by strange fire. We have been trying to make ourselves right and trying to do a bunch of things for ourselves. And in many respects, we do it because we're trying to earn some type of merit or favor with God. Brothers and sisters, I'm letting you know right now, the Bible calls that strange fire. We must understand that, brothers and sisters, there is a way that not only can we reform the life, but we can love it. But the only way that we can reform the life and love it is when we let God kindle the fire and let God put out our strange fires. You see, I want you to consider something here. When we look at inspiration, I want you to look at this. It says, the Lord has sent a message to arouse his people to repent and do their first works. This is the 1888 messages, page 765. It says, and do their works, but how has his message been received? It says, while some have heeded it, others have cast contempt and reproach on the message and the messenger. Spirituality deadened, humility and childlike simplicity gone. It says, a mechanical, formal profession of faith. Do you know anybody like that? Individuals who will come to church and they're just mechanical, they're just formal. They just use their mechanical words like happy Sabbath. They say all these different things, but all they're doing, brothers and sisters, is forming like a robot. It says mechanical, formal profession of faith has taken the place of love and devotion. It says, is this mournful condition of things to continue? Is the lamp of God's love to go out in darkness? It says the Savior calls, listen to his voice, be zealous and repent. Repent, confess your sins, and you will be forgiven. Turn ye, turn ye, for why will ye die? Why will you try to rekindle a mere fitful fire and walk in the sparks of your own kindling? Many individuals are trying to be obedient to God and many individuals are trying to do the things of God. But brothers and sisters, the problem is, is that we offered ourselves as an offering, but we forgot that the offering had to be made by fire and not the fires of our own kindling, but the fire of God's love. And brothers and sisters, that's the reason why there are so many people today in seven-day Adventism that indeed and truly, and I say it not in jest, but brothers and sisters, this is why the church is filled with Sadventists. Individuals who come to church, brothers and sisters, and it's empty. They come to church, they come for worship, they come and they do the various things that they do, but they know in their heart there is no joy. There is no peace. There is no abiding love. Brothers and sisters, it is as if they are just simply following forms. You know, brothers and sisters, when you and I do good things or bad things, first of all, we must understand something. Go to the book of James chapter 4. James chapter 4. The Bible says in James the fourth chapter, you see, many individuals believe that the more good deeds that I do, Obviously, these are things that are hooking me up and making me right with God. There are many individuals who think that way. They think that the more that I do is the better off I am as it relates to my walk and my relation to Jesus Christ. There are many individuals who believe that. But brothers and sisters, I want you to see something in James, the fourth chapter. Here's something God tells us in verse 1. Notice what the Bible says in James 4 and verse 1. It says, from whence comes wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members? It says, ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. Verse 3. Ye ask and receive not because you ask what? Amiss that you may consume it upon your lusts. God says that there are many things that individuals can do, but he says also that I am not just paying attention to what people do, but God says I'm also paying attention to why you did it. God says I pay attention to motive and not simply just the deed. 
So therefore, it is possible that an individual can actually go out and preach the gospel to others, and they might even baptize many. But brothers and sisters, while we might say, good work, if the only reason they did it is so that they can get to the next high position in the conference, that's a good work with a bad motive. And God will look at an individual like that and say, weighed in the balances and wanting. There are individuals today that will go ahead and do call portal work and give out truth-filled literature, but the only thing on their mind is how much money they're going to collect at the end of the day. Good work, bad motive. Brothers and sisters, there can even be a husband that can come home to his wife, and he can look at his wife and he can say, Honey, you know what? You look so beautiful today. And he can pay that wonderful, nice compliment, and that's a good work. But if the only reason he said it is so that he knows that he can get his special request fulfilled later on in the evening, that's a good work with a bad motive. <laughs> Husbands, your wives are beautiful, regardless of what takes later on after you make that wonderful statement. We need to affirm our wives and we need to let our wives know how much we love them and adore them and are attracted to them. We're living in a very sinful world today, brothers and sisters. And we would do well to understand that our wives are worthy of these compliments irregardless of what so-called rewards we may get in the end. Do you know that a child can come home, a mother and father can come home, and all of a sudden they can be shocked and knocked to their feet because they come home and instead of their child sitting down and watching TV, all of a sudden the child is washing dishes. That mother and father say, is this right? Is this what I'm seeing? And they see that child washing dishes, and all of a sudden that mother and father say, man, this is wonderful. And all of a sudden that child's washing dishes, but that child knows later on they're going to go ahead and say, mom and dad, can you buy me something from that special store or something that I've been wanting to get? <laughs> Good work! Bad motive. <laughs> Young people, you will understand that when you put the magnifying glass on that wonderful commandment that says, honor thy father and thy mother, you would see that if you put the magnifying glass on that, that, that honoring your father and your mother also includes enlightening their burdens. That means that if you love your mother and your father and you want to honor them, that's why you come home and you wash those dishes. That's why you clean up around the house. That's why you do the various things you do. Not to get some temporal reward. You do it because you love your mother and your father. You see, whether we're looking at the basic lifestyle dynamics or we're even looking at the work in the church, in many respects, there's all these individuals doing good work with bad motives. And we must understand the reason why is because we're trying to do the works on our own as a result of the kindling of our own fire. When God says that the only way you can truly do this work where it is acceptable to me is when you do it when it's made by my fire. God makes it clear that the only reason we should do any of the good things that we do, brothers and sisters, is because of love. In fact, do you know that God even gives us a position of humility in even the good works that we do? You know, so often in the church today, we do things because we want to be recognized. We do things because we want somebody to applaud us and to tell us how good and great we are. Brothers and sisters, these are foul motives to be done in the work of the gospel. Do you know that Jesus was so meticulous that he even told us what to say when we do a good work. Go to the book of Luke, the 17th chapter. Let me show you what Jesus told us to say. The next time you and I do a good work and someone comes to you and I and they want to go ahead and applaud us and tell us how great and wonderful we are, brothers and sisters, this is what the master told us to say. I want you to see what the Bible says in Luke, the 17th chapter. And if you're there, say amen. In Luke, the 17th chapter, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says in Luke 17... Notice what it says now in verse 7. It says, But which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him by and by, when he is come from the field, Go and sit down to meet? And will not rather say unto him, Make ready, wherewith I may sup and gird thyself, and serve me till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink. Look at verse 9. Doth he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I trow not. Now look at verse 10. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, we are undone.
profitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. God says that when you and I do even a truly good work, that all that we are to consider is that, you know what? I'm an unprofitable servant. I've only done that, which God has told me to do. And you know the reason why we should understand this? Go to the book of 1 Chronicles 29. The reason why we should understand it is so simple. Go to 1 Chronicles 29 and you'll see why we should understand it. Notice what the Bible says in 1 Chronicles chapter 29. In 1 Chronicles 29, the reason why the servant can say, I am an unprofitable servant, I have only done that which thou hast told me to do, which God has told me to do. The reason why we can make that statement is notice what the Bible says in 1 Chronicles 29 and verse 14. The Bible says, but who am I and what is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? Read that sentence with me. For all things come of thee, and of thine own have we given thee. That's why we're unprofitable. That's why we're unprofitable. The reason why you and I are unprofitable, brothers and sisters, is because whatever possessions you have, it came from God. And when you give it to the cause of God, you have no reason to boast because all things come of thee and only of thine own have we given thee. When you and I wake up and we have even the motor skills to open our hands and close them so that we can lift somebody up when they fall. Brothers and sisters, that's no point for you and I to brag and say, look at the great work I did. No, because all things, even your motor skills came from God. And of thine own have I simply given back to you. God wants us to understand there's never a bragging point for any good work or any good change that you and I do. And the only reason why we brag about what we do is because, brothers and sisters, we are still filled with strange fire rather than the fire of God. We need that love. In fact, I want you to consider a quotation. You remember 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. That's called the love chapter. Amen? And in that wonderful love chapter, we're told that we can do all sorts of things, but if it's not for love, it profits us nothing. Now, I want you to listen to what inspiration says here. It says, let me go on. It says, no matter how high the profession, he whose heart is not filled with love for God and his fellow men is not a true disciple of Christ. Acts of the Apostles 3.18. It says, though he should possess great faith and have power even to work miracles, yet without love, his faith would be worthless. He might display great liberality, but should he from some other motive than genuine love bestow all his goods to feed the poor, the act would not commend him to the favor of God. In his zeal, he might even meet a martyr's death. Yet, if not actuated by love, he would be regarded by God as a deluded enthusiast or an ambitious hypocrite. God wants us to understand, brothers and sisters, is that while we want to do the good works, while we want to do all these great things, we need the love of Jesus in our hearts. This is the only thing that has the ability to actually consume all sin. Why do you think? What is sin? What is sin? The breaking of God's law. Is that right? What is it that can keep us from sinning? John 14, 15. If you love me, what does he say? Keep my commandments. You see, the only way you and I can get to a point that we will truly be dead indeed unto sin, not for a moment, but for the remainder of our lives, is when that wonderful love of God is put so deeply rooted within our hearts, brothers and sisters. You see, when you love Jesus, you will not do anything to hurt him. The Bible says in Hebrews 6, 6, that every time we sin, we crucify Christ afresh. Every single time. The only thing that can get people to stop sinning, the only thing that can get individuals to finally stop doing the thing that caused God to turn his face from us is when we begin to love God 
And when we begin to have that love so deeply rooted within our hearts, brothers and sisters, that's the only thing. Jesus says, if you love me, he says, you'll keep my commandments. You'll keep them. But as long as we don't love God, brothers and sisters, we'll get so pathetic that we'll get to the point we'll start making excuses for our sins. You see, the issue is a love issue. And this is why Christ wanted us to understand this principle. Because he knew that the offering had to be made by fire. And I want you to think about it. Where did the fire always come from? Did the priest kindle it? No, the fire came down. It came from God. That was God trying to teach us that I am the one that needs to put my love within you. And this is why, brothers and sisters, one of the greatest prayers that we need to pray every day is, Lord, please give me more of thy love. Put your love within my heart. You know, brothers and sisters, the only way that I fell in love with my wife is I spent time with her. It is impossible to fall in love with somebody if you don't spend time with them. You see, Satan well knows that those whom he can get to neglect prayer and the searching of the scriptures will be overcome by his attacks. Why? Because they don't love God. But when we no longer neglect prayer, when we no longer neglect the scriptures, when we spend time with Jesus. Do you know, brothers and sisters, when the Bible gave us the example of the manna that would fall to the ground, it would always fall before sunrise. And that was God's way of trying to let us know that he was giving us an example. Before we begin our workday, you and I should be having morning manna. Young people, you need to make sure you have morning manna. You know what manna said? You know what the word manna means? What is it? Every morning, brothers and sisters, you and I are to get up. And before we start all the other things to get ourselves ready, we are to get up and we are to go on our knees. We are to open the word of God and say, Lord, what is it that you need to teach me today? Lord, what is it that is in your word that I need so that I can best know how I can stay close to you and abide in you when the devil goes ahead and introduces his traps to me? You and I are to inquire of God, what is it, Lord? How can I connect with you? How can I stay close to you? And if you and I begin to do this, brothers and sisters, do you know that something's going to happen? A love will be developed. In fact, I want you to think about this. This is a quotation from Christ Object Lessons. In Christ Object Lessons, I want you to see what it says on page 159. You see, this is a prayer that I pray that we will all say. You see, this is the great battle of what's going on inside of us. It says, no outward observances can take the place of simple faith and entire renunciation of self. It says, but no man can empty himself of self. You see, that's the issue. We know we need to die to self, but the issue is, is that we can't make that happen. But watch this. It says... We can only consent for Christ to accomplish the work. It says, then the language of the soul will be, Lord, take my heart, for I cannot give it. Did you hear that? You got to be real with God. There's too many people in the Seventh-day Adventist church who absolutely love sin. And the problem, brothers and sisters, is that we need to overcome sin. We know we should, and the list goes on, but we keep trying to give ourselves to Jesus and failing. And why? Because Jesus says, you can't give it to me. You cannot give me your heart. You know what Jesus says? He says that you and I ought to pray, Lord, take my heart, for I cannot give it. It says, it is thy property. Keep it pure, for I cannot keep it for thee. Save me in spite of myself, my weak, unchristlike self. Mold me, fashion me, raise me unto a pure and holy atmosphere where the rich current of thy love can flow through my soul. It is not only at the beginning of the Christian life that this renunciation of self is to be made. At every advanced step heavenward, it is to be renewed. All our good works are dependent upon a power outside of ourselves. Therefore, there needs to be a continual reaching out of the heart after God, a continued, earnest, heartbreaking confession of sin and humbling of the soul before him. Only by constant renunciation of self and dependence on Christ can we walk safely. The nearer we come to Jesus and the more clearly we discern the purity of his character the more clearly we shall discern the exceeding sinfulness of sin 
and the less we shall feel like exalting ourselves. Brothers and sisters, God says, listen, you think I've let you come this far to let you be lost? God says, I love you so much. He says, listen, you, you committed, or rather you had holy convocation with me. And God says, when I saw you having holy convocation, the Lord was saying, as it were, you gave me hope. I can see that you're working. You're trying to come to me as I'm seeking to come to you. And then you afflicted your soul, and now you're offering yourself to me. But the problem is, is you're trying to do it void of my love. Christ says, that will never work. Christ says, you need my love. And the only way we can get it is when the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. Romans 5, 7. Brothers and sisters, Jesus says that I have the love, I have the fire that has the ability to burn out every single ray of sin in your life. It's not that man cannot have victory over sin. The issue is, is what's the motive behind it? If you and I are trying to do this in and of ourselves, that's strange fire. It is not going to work. But when we, are God, God, when we allow God's fire of love to burn within our hearts, Brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, you will be filled so much with the love of Jesus that you'd prefer to die than sin against him. You know, and I was thinking about how much God loves us. And as I was thinking about how much God loves us, I remembered something about my father. You know, my father, brothers and sisters, did not live the majority of his life as a godly man. My father was one who did everything that he wanted to do and what he thought and felt was right. But brothers and sisters, it got to a point that after my mother died in 2007, dad's life really started to go downhill real fast. Dad started getting very sick and very debilitated and weak and laid out on the ground. He couldn't even get out of bed anymore. For two years, dad had to stay totally bedridden. And I remember I was always pleading with God and I asked God to do something for me. I said, Father, before my mother dies, please help her to accept this third angel's message. I said, just, just hold her life long enough that she would do it. And you know God did it? She died under that third angel's message. I said, Lord, there's one more. I started realizing, I said, Dad is dying. My sister, who was taking care of him the the most, she was saying, look, it looks like he's not going to be around much longer. And I remember that just a few weeks ago, just a few weeks ago, a little less or a little less than a month, a little less than a month, I remember that I went to go visit Dad. And as I went to go visit dad, he was so weak and debilitated that he couldn't even feed himself. So therefore he said, son, would you feed me? And I said, dad, it would be my pleasure to feed you. And dad was suffering with dementia. So, you know, sometimes his mind was here and he wasn't. But I'd go ahead and I'd feed dad. And I remember dad looked at me and he said, son, he said, you know, I I apologize. I'm so sorry that you have to feed me like this. I said, dad, you fed me when I couldn't feed myself. I said, it's my privilege to feed you now that you can't feed yourself. So I started to feed dad his food and I wiped his face and everything and dad all of a sudden just, you know, went to sleep. And I remember I was sitting by his bed and I laid my head on his leg and I prayed a prayer in my mind. I said, Father, I don't want my father to die outside of the third angel's message. I said, Lord, I wish so much that I could have a Bible study with him right now. And 30 seconds after I prayed that prayer in my mind, I heard a voice say, Dwayne? And I said, yes, Dad. He said, would you teach me the Bible? He said, would you teach me the Bible? I said, Dad, it would be my privilege to teach you the Bible. I took my Bible out, and brothers and sisters, we had a study on righteousness by faith, which is the essence of the third angel's message. And I shared that message with Dad. And brothers and sisters, I asked Dad, I said, Dad, what did I just tell you? And he repeated back to me every verse that I said to him. God literally intervened and kept his mind clear because God knew it was decision time. And brothers and sisters, do you know that I made an appeal to dad after I explained that third angel's message? And I said, dad, I said, are you willing to be counted amongst the patient saints 
who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And dad said, yes. I said, let's seal it with prayer. We prayed right there. Two weeks later, he died. And I remember I got that news. And brothers and sisters, when I got that news and I found out my father was dead, I remember that I was thinking to myself, I said, my father is dead. And I, didn't expect, I knew he was dying, but I didn't expect him to die that quick. So it caught me a bit by surprise. And I remember I was thinking in my mind, and the first thing I did is I went on my knees and I said, Father, you are righteous. I said, you are just. And your will is perfect. I affirmed God in my mind because I knew Satan was going to try to whisper things in my ear. And I knew that I had to do like Jesus and rebuke him with, it is written. And I affirmed, I said, God, you are righteous. You are just and you are holy. Your will is perfect, even in allowing my father to sleep. And I started to think about this great time of trouble getting ready to come. And all of a sudden, I started thinking to myself, I said, well, this time of trouble is getting ready to come. And God did tell us that he's going to allow many to sleep before this thing breaks loose. And I started to say, you know what? Praise God. And as I started to thank the Lord for that, God said, son, it's sweeter than that. And God reminded me, he says, do you remember your prayer? And at that time, my mind wasn't clear. And I was like, you know, no, you can have a conversation with the Lord, brothers and sisters. And God reminded me, you asked me to preserve his life until he accepted that third angel's message. And God said, I did it. And he said, I did it because I love you and I love him. And brothers and sisters, my heart was so warmed. Brothers and sisters, God has a love that the human language cannot speak it or express it. And Christ says that victory over sin, preparation for the final crisis, all of these things, the sanctuary message, God says, I'm simply trying to let you know that I want to put my love in you. Because God says that when I put my love in you, I can even change your I got to to I get to. No longer will young people say, I got to keep the Sabbath. They say, praise God, I get to keep the Sabbath. No longer will people say, I got to eat this way. They'll say, praise God, I get to eat this way. No longer will God's precious daughter say, I got to dress this way. They say, I get to dress this way. What makes the difference? Love. Love makes it easy. And so it is tonight, brothers and sisters. If you realize that you've been living the majority of your life, by the kindling of your own fire. If you know in your heart, and I'm especially speaking to my young brothers and sisters, listen, man, I'm, I can really relate to my young brothers and sisters. I, I understand sometimes you go to church and there is nothing in your heart at all, nothing. You're following the motions, you're going through. But God says, listen, I know how to help you not only make an offering, but I'll show you how to do it made by fire. God says, I will put my spirit within you if you simply ask. And the love of God will be shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. And as you spend time with him, you will love him and you will love him more and still more. To the point that one day you'll be so settled in that love, both intellectually and spiritually, that you cannot be moved. And it does not matter what storms and what winds may blow and come your way not even the floods will be able to quench love. And so it is tonight, if you realize I have been living by the kindlings of my own fire. And Lord, I confess, I've been doing duties and I've been doing things, but my motives have not been pure. And Lord, I realize that I need your love. I need your love in my heart. I need you to show me how to offer myself as an offering, and I need it to be made by your fire. Brothers and sisters, if that's your desire tonight, then I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet. We are praying, Father in heaven, we thank you so much that tonight through the power of your Holy Spirit that we can let you light a fire within us 
that even has the power to consume all the fat of sin. And Lord, we know that we have tried to put sin out of our lives ourselves and we have failed time and time again. We turned away, but we came back. But Lord, I believe with all of my heart that if we simply let you light the fire and Father, that that love may be put within our hearts, that you will show us how the fat of sin can finally be completely consumed and we can love you so much that we prefer to die than ever, ever again commit a sin against you. Lord, please make this real in our lives tonight. Help us, dear God, to no longer simply do a bunch of deeds void of your love. But show us, dear God, how this love can be put within our hearts and be the actuating force of every good word, every good action, and even every holy thought. And may we ever remember that we are unprofitable servants, for all things have come of thee, and of thine own have we given thee. Be glorified in all that we say and do, and thank you for the fire of thy love even tonight. May it cause a great burning flame within us that will never be quenched, not even by the floods. In Jesus' name, amen. This message is produced by PTH Ministries. Our mission is to spread the three angels' messages through preaching and teaching the Seventh-day Adventist message and to integrate healing through medical missionary work in declaring the gospel. For more information on our ministry and the resources we provide, please log on to our website at www.pthministries.com. That's www.pthministries.com. Or you can call us at 770-274-9537. That's 770-274-9537. May we do our part to meet the needs of humanity through the everlasting gospel and hasten Christ's return. Maranatha.